Hello, everybody. I'm Howie Hawkins. I was the Green Party candidate for president and the Socialist Party candidate for president in 2020. You see that banner in, in the back? We're trying to run for governor and lieutenant governor. My running mate is Gloria Matera this year in New York. And the purpose of this Green Socialist Notes podcast is to continue to educate and organize around the eco-socialist program that Angela Walker and I ran on in 2020. So I've been talking about this a lot uh, since that campaign. The biggest lesson I learned is we got to change the electoral system or we're going to be marginalized, given that the Republican Party is now not just conservative, but an extremist far-right party with paramilitary auxiliaries. Uh, they're attacking democracy. They're pushing autocracy. And progressive-minded people are going to feel compelled to vote for the Democrats even though they don't like their corporate centrist, neoliberal austerity domestically, no action on climate, militarism abroad. Uh, and they might prefer the green platform, but they feel they got to vote for the Democrats to stop the Republicans. So we got to change that system. Um, and of course, we talk about ranked choice voting and proportional representation. That is key. Then people can vote for who they want without worrying about helping their worst enemy. But before we can even get to that, we got to get on the ballot. And uh, I have an article came out on Counterpunch yesterday. It's up there now over the weekend called The Democrats' Third Party Massacres. And it goes into what they did to Matthew Ho and the North Carolina Green Party in the last couple of weeks. And those folks are suing. Uh, and uh, you can find the lawsuit on, on Matthew's website. But they need money to follow up on this legal fight. We got to win that fight. Um, and what my article talks about is, you know, what they did to Matthew Ho is not new for the Greens. You know, having our representatives silenced at uh, petition hearings. That's what they did to Oliver Hall, Matthew Hall's lawyer, uh, you know, Democratic chair of the meeting. When Matthew asked, uh, are any of the signatures you're questioning among those that were validated and the chair of the Democratic uh, or the Democratic chair of the Board of Elections said, I'm not going to go into a criminal investigation. We didn't know it was a criminal investigation. And uh, and Oliver Hall said, but you're not answering my question. And the Democratic chair of the North Carolina Board of Elections said, you're out of order. Silence his video. And that's the last you saw him, our lawyer, Oliver Hall. We had the same experience in Wisconsin when Andrea Merida was representing us at a petition hearing there, and they wouldn't let her present evidence. Uh, and when she asked to speak, she got shut up. And finally, the chair of the meeting, the Democrats, said, if you speak up again, we're going to cut you out of the meeting. Um, and you'll have to look at it later on, you know, the, the video record. Um, so that's not new. Um, what they did in North Carolina uh, you know, badgering and hectoring and intimidating people that signed petitions into taking their names off is something that we have seen going back to Ralph Nader in 2004. They did it to us in Montana. And by that uh, method or means, they got us knocked off the ballot in Montana in 2020. And then we've seen the fraud where uh, the Democrats in North Carolina, some of them are representing themselves 
not as of the Democratic Party, which is who is paying for this harassment, but some said they were representing the Green Party. Others said they were representing the Board of Elections. And, you know, this is a page out of the Republican. Well, maybe the Republicans took it out of the Democratic uh, playbook because we know down in, this came out last week in Houston, Texas, Republicans went into a black neighborhood saying they represented the Board of Election and uh, they're looking for uh, people that submitted fraudulent ballots. Uh, very intimidating. So that article in Counterpunch, you know, you can find a lot of the history of that and what we need to do about it. We need a fair ballot access law at the federal level. The last one introduced was by John Conyers in 1989. This is for a federal standard for federal elections for reasonable ballot access. And, you know, I ask in that article, where are the progressives? Where's the squad? Why won't any of them have a fair ballot access uh, law introduced? There's no legislation now. Um, and I hope we got on the chat, if uh, we got Matthew's uh, link up there. Got my article up there. I'm looking at the chat, just make sure they're both up there. Okay, yeah, there's Matthew Ho's lawsuit announcement. You can find on that website the lawsuit. It's not that hard to read. It's a good lawsuit. Oliver Hall is a great lawyer. And uh, I assume we got my uh, article up from Counterpunch. So um, that information's there for you. Um, and then I'll also say, you know, we're in the middle of petitioning to get the Green Party back on the ballot in Massachusetts in Pennsylvania and in Missouri. And if you're in those states or near those states and can help, uh, all those petitions are due at the end of this month. So, uh, you know, that's, you know, what people can do right now. You know, the Democrats want us off the ballot. We got to fight them to get back on the ballot so that we can give people a real alternative because, you know, this week showed it again. We need an alternative. The House just passed a $839 billion military budget for next year which is $37 billion more than Biden asked for, which is already $30 billion more from the current year's military budget. So this military madness is not, uh, you know, the two major parties are all for it. That, you know, there's a lot of talk about how we're polarized. Well, the leadership of those two parties are not polarized on military spending. And we need that money for uh, the care economy, climate action, and uh, basically meeting the people's needs and protecting the environment. And then, you know, Manchin is like Lucy in the football with Charlie Brown. Democrats thought they were negotiating with him and he just pulled the football out as they were ready to kick it. And, uh, you know, some people in the climate movement say, well, it's time to remove uh, Manchin from his committee assignments. 350.org has got a message out about that. But uh, I think it's a little too late for that. They should have done that as soon as Manchin started playing games with them. Um, and now we're going into a midterm and we don't know what the landscape will look like after the election. I mean, that's something you could do to punish Manchin, but the question is, will you get the votes even if you punish him? Um, and we have to recognize that the Democrats are fossil fuel. They're, they're, they're drenched in fossil fuels from the donations from fossil fuel companies. I mean, we saw that when 
Sunrise Movement and AOC sat in Pelosi's office asking for a select committee to deal with the Green New Deal. That would mean they could put legislation right to the floor. And Pelosi said no, she was going to run that stuff through the Energy and Commerce Commission, where she appointed a fossil fuel-drenched politician, Frank Pallone, a Democrat from New Jersey, to run it. And, you know, that's partly why we don't have good climate legislation. People like him are in the leadership. And then, you know, AOC, in the beginning of her second term, tried to get on that committee. And the uh, leadership of the Democratic Party found a conservative Long Island Democrat to run against AOC. And I forget the numbers I've told them on this podcast before, but she got wiped out by the Democratic caucus. Uh, and so she didn't get on energy and commerce, which dealt with her new big issues, Medicare for all and the Green New Deal. So uh, we're not going to get an alternative on climate from the Democrats, and that's why we need the Green Party. And then the other thing I just want to mention again is that, you know, this BA5 COVID variant is now uh, racing through the country. Deaths are up to 400 a week. There are no public health measures. The Democrats sound like the Republicans did last year, opposing any, uh, you know, requirements to protect public health, like wearing masks in airplanes or public places or subways. And it's really the mentality is, you know, well, we're done with COVID. Of course, COVID is not done with us. And then it's, you know, the it's sort of the neoliberal uh, mentality of our era. You're on your own. So, you know, we'll tell you, you should get vaccinated and boosted. Uh, maybe you should wear a mask in public places. Uh, but we're not going to do any collective measures, you know, to protect public health. It's everybody for themselves. And that's not a good way to get anything solved. So I'm interested to see what's on your mind. So I'm looking forward to your questions and comments. Scout Trooper 164, the Supreme Court wants to listen to voting rights. Anything we can do for that to help the Greens? I'm not sure what you mean that the Supreme Court wants to listen to voting rights. I mean, Roberts Court, you know, before it became a six to three ultra conservative majority, you know, they gutted the Voting Rights Act uh, by removing the pre-clearance provisions which applied to those jurisdictions that had a history of discrimination. And they had to get pre-cleared changes in their election laws, including redistricting. And they wiped that out. Um, so, you know, what can we do about voting rights? I think the Green Party's got to take the lead for the on voting rights and election protection because the Republicans now are not only trying to suppress people they think are vote Democratic, who are, you know, ethnic minorities, women, youth, um, LGBTQ people. Um, but, the, you know, the Democrats are suppressing uh, people they think won't vote for them or uh, we should put in a position where they have no choice but to vote for them by suppressing the Green Party. But we know voter suppre uh, party suppression is a form of voter suppression. In 2016, we have an exit poll from that election that showed that 61% of Jill Stein's voters and 55% of the Libertarian candidate, Gary Johnson's voters, would not have voted if they were not on the ballot. That's 3.4 million voters. That's a lot of voter suppression. 
And that's what the Democrats are doing by suppressing the vote. So I think we got to fight for ballot access. We got to take the lead on voting rights and election protection. You know, the Republicans, you probably heard this Moore versus Harper or Harper versus Moore case out of North Carolina, which is North Carolina Republicans defending their racially and politically or partisanly gerrymandered districts. And their argument is that the election clause of the Constitution gives state legislatures total power over how elections are conducted. So partisan gerrymandering, uh, partisan vote counting, they can do anything they want, including in 2024, sending a slate of electors to the Electoral College, uh, irrespective of what the popular vote was. So these Republican-controlled legislatures will send a Republican slate, no matter what the vote was. And so that's really, uh, of course, undermining voting rights. Your vote won't count. So there's a lot to do there. And the Democrats have been feckless and just empathetic in trying to deal with what the Republicans are doing. At the federal level, they could preempt what the Republicans are doing in the states with suppressing voting rights and setting up the mechanisms to steal elections. And the Republicans are also intimidating election officials so they can get their own partisan administrators in there. There's a whole lot going on. And Democrats in Congress just kind of shrug and say, oh, we can't get it passed the Senate because of the filibuster, but they could get rid of the filibuster with 51 votes, the 50 Democratic senators plus Vice President Harris. But of course, you know, Manchin and Cinema, and really about six or eight other Democrats behind them that are silent don't want to get rid of the filibuster, which means they don't want voting rights or abortion rights or the care economy or climate action or how about Supreme Court reform? I mean, there's a whole agenda there that the Democrats are not doing. So, you know, what the Greens can do is just strengthen ourselves, run our own candidates, put these issues forward, and take leadership on, on the voting rights question because the Democrats have failed. Frankie Lee, how can we influence these fools in power to stop destabilizing the world's economy? Countries are in panic mode, and we will soon be soon. Yeah, I think they don't really know what they're doing uh, with the economy. I mean, now they are uh, actually I have a better camera on here, so let me see if I get that up there. Um, yeah, they're, they're relying on the Fed to tame inflation by raising interest rates. All that's going to do is increase unemployment. You know, the roots of inflation are the supply chain problems coming out of the COVID pandemic, uh, price gouging by particularly the oil companies, but the monopolies across the board. Uh, and nobody in the establishment parties wants to take on corporate power. Um, it's not an issue of higher wages, driving higher prices, driving higher wages. That wage price cycle is not in effect in this uh, period of inflation. So yeah, these fools don't know what the hell they're doing. How can we influence them? I don't think, you know, they're going to listen to us. I think we got to replace them. And that's why we're running greens against both major parties because they're running the planet and the people into the ground. And so um, I'm focused on, you know, strengthening the Green Party, getting us on the ballot, getting good candidates to run, winning elections, and building ourselves up. 
because uh, we can't wait on the Republicans or the Democrats or the Democrats or the Republicans. Amy L. Sachs, care to comment on Dems literally funding Cheney Jr.'s campaign because she's a quote-unquote nice GOP or whatever? Well, you know, in a way I can understand because the Democrats are not going to win that district. And do you want Cheney or a uh, election denier representing Wyoming? Um, <clears throat> I guess Cheney's the lesser evil. And the Democrats believe in lesser evil politics. They don't want a solution. They just want to stop things from getting worse. So uh, it's not surprising that they're doing that. Um, but I don't think it's anything the Greens need to be involved in. Uh, we don't have much of a Green Party in, in Wyoming, but Greens in Wyoming should be building their own political alternative. And uh, our program, whether it's Medicare for all or dealing with the climate or making sure people's Basic needs in the care economy are taken care of, like paid family leave and uh, child care, are things that are very popular among the people. And so we shouldn't underestimate our strength if we get organized and, and reach people. And uh, I think our biggest obstacle is not even that. It's the electoral system, as I described earlier, which is designed to force people into the choice of lesser evils because of the spoiler effect of third parties. And that's uh, something that we got to change or we're just going to be on the margins politically. So, yeah, the, the Democrats, it's par for the course. The Democrats only know lesser evil politics. Scout Trooper 164, what do you think of the Uvalde police being revealed to have done poorly at their jobs, including one cop? checking his phone with a Punisher lock screen. I don't know about that last incident, but from what I do know, uh, they did a terrible job. They were poorly led by their commanders and said, don't go in. And, you know, the, the police, uh, you know, we want them to serve and protect, but a lot of times they don't. Um, and and the, politically, we have, you know, crime up some, so the immediate solution is to get more cops. But if the cops are no good, it's not going to do us much good. So, um, you know, that's why, you know, we campaign for community control of the police so that, you know, they work for us and not for the power structure of their communities. Now, I don't know what's going on in Uvalde, but I do know in most cities, cities, the power structure is the real estate industry. And the police are there to enforce class and race boundaries of our class and race segregated society. So they keep, you know, the poor downtrodden people, they over-police them. And they look the other way at, you know, the things that the more upscale people do. And their main job is to make sure the downscale people don't go into the neighborhoods of the upscale people. And that is not serving and protecting all of us. That's why we need community control. So, yeah, everything I know about the Uvalde police is uh, it's really shocking. I mean, how poorly they did. King Cato 21. I get told all the time that if I want your Howie's policy, I still have to vote for Democrats and voting for other parties is a win for Republicans. 
Yeah, that's that's the spoiler problem. They say uh, if we vote for the Greens, then that's a vote the Democrats should get in order to stop the Republicans. And, you know, I think what we need to tell Democrats who say this is we have a solution to that. And it's called ranked choice voting for uh, single seats like executive offices and U.S. senators and uh, proportional ranked choice voting for proportional representation in legislative bodies like the House of Representatives and for presidential elections to replace the electoral college with a ranked choice national popular vote. Those are solutions to the problem. So, you know, these people should not be telling us to disappear and go away. We're not. So you want to solve the problem? Get with us and support ranked choice voting and proportional representation. And that solves the problem, along with partisan gerrymandering. You cannot gerrymander multi-member districts that have proportional representation because every party is going to get their fair share of representation no matter where you draw the district lines. So there are solutions to this. And that's what we got to tell people that tell us to, you know, not run because we're going to help the Republicans. No, let's let's Democrats, you join with us in changing the electoral system. So the problem with spoiled elections goes away. Scout Trooper 164, do you think Biden is arrogant by saying people will vote for him? And he has a majority despite 92% of Dems not wanting him to run again. I guess arrogant is one word you could use for it. Uh, you know, uh, Pollyannish, you know, he's engaged in wishful thinking, I think. Um, his best argument is, you know, the latest poll shows he'd still be Trump uh, as much as the Democrats are not enthused and the Republicans won't vote for him. Um, but you know, there's a big push in the Democratic Party from the, the liberals to uh, replace Trump with, you know, either Elizabeth Warren or, or Bernie Sanders. Um, that'll be interesting to watch. I don't know if 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 Biden wants to run, uh, Sanders or Warren is going to take him on. Um, maybe it'll depend on what the polls say. Um, but, you know, the Democrats with Biden... You know, he almost lost to Trump. He, he won the popular vote by 7 million votes. But because of the Electoral College, I forget the number now, it's like, you know, 23,000 votes had flipped the other way in uh, Arizona, what was the other state, Wisconsin, and Georgia. Uh, Trump would be the president despite losing the popular vote by over 7 million votes. The Electoral College has got to go. I mean, the damn Democrats... You know, there hasn't been a Republican elected, first elected president without the Electoral College putting him in office despite losing the popular vote. And you would think the Democrats would say, we can't let that happen to us again. It happened to him in 2000, it happened to him in 2016, came very close to happening in 2020. And here we're going to 2024 and the Republicans are trying to gain the system and the Republicans don't have a bill to deal with that that they've been campaigning for. There is a bill to replace the Electoral College with a um, popular vote, not a ranked choice vote, um, that requires a constitutional amendment. Now, there have been lawyers, it's in the Harvard Policy and Law Review, it's volume 15, number one, it's online, you can look it up about, uh, and there's a model legislation. They argue that you can 
get rid of the electoral college and set up this ranked choice national popular vote strictly by legislation drawing on powers already in the constitution given to congress to regulate uh, the presidential election and i'll leave it to the lawyers and the courts to argue whether if that law passes it's constitutional but uh it's a faster way than trying to go through a constitutional amendment the thing is this bill that is in the hopper and i have to say i've looked at this since 2000 you know the first uh, news conference that hillary clinton did here in new york after that 2000 election where she was elected senator and the uh florida situation was up in the air she said she's going to introduce a bill to get rid of the electoral college she never did uh the senator from illinois durbin said uh and he kind of carried that bill before said he would do it there was no bill introduced in that next session when george bush took office i mean it just rolled over for the republicans and there's been a bill but there's been no weight behind it and the thing is the bill is worse than what they did in 1969, the House passed overwhelmingly, like 90%, to uh, replace the Electoral College with a popular vote and actually had a runoff provision. If nobody got 40% or more, then you'd have a runoff between the top two, which isn't quite ranked choice voting, but it's better than just the plurality winner. Because if you really had a, you know, a close race between three or four parties, Somebody could be elected president with 25 or 30% of the vote, and you don't want that. Uh, that was a better bill, and, the, and it was Nixon supported it. Uh, the majority of senators supported it, but it was the damn racist Dixiecrats in the South who have disproportionate power because of the Electoral College that filibustered it. And that was 1969, and it never came back. I mean, you got the president, you got the majority in the Senate, and you got overwhelming support in the house and didn't pass so now these liberals come back in the democratic party and they come up with a bill that's weaker than the one that almost passed in 1969. the democrats don't know how to fight these fascists they don't know how to fight for democracy and that's why i keep saying we've got to build a green alternative if we're going to you know defend our the democratic rights we have which are you know circumscribed by a constitution that is counter-majoritarian with the Electoral College, with the U.S. Senate, uh, now with the Supreme Court saying partisan gerrymandering is okay by them. Uh, there are a whole lot of things in our uh, current constitutional structure that are against democracy. But even with that, it could get much worse. And the, the Democrats, you know, they've had their chance now for two years. You know, H.R. 1, you know, their voting rights bill, it was the priority number one. They didn't pass it. And it didn't pass because it did pass the House, but it couldn't get through the Senate because of the filibuster. And so for two years, you know, Joe Biden keeps talking. He wants to do bipartisan legislation with a Republican Party that tried to overthrow his election by a coup, a violent coup, an armed coup. We're getting more data on how many damn guns were in that crowd and the planning and the preparations to use violence if they needed to. And we came very close to that happening. And the Democrats as a whole are doing very little about it. And uh, so again, it comes back, we need an alternative and that's the Green Party. Emoji. Should the Green Party try to avoid receiving financial or legal support from the 
GOP for the sake of optics? Or is it okay to take whatever we can get? I think the answer to both is yes. Um, you don't want the optics of the GOP providing financial or legal support. And this has happened to us in ballot access cases. In Wisconsin, uh, you know, a biased uh, Democrats on the you know Board of Election, what's there called the Wisconsin Elections Commission, uh, wouldn't certify our election for the stupid reason that, you know, Angela Walker moved in the middle of the petition drive. In other states, I mean, it was the same situation, but in Wisconsin, it was objected to because, and this is what the Board of Elections or the commission told us to do, have her, the date uh, or the address she lived at, the date a petition was signed be the address. So it changed at the end of July when she moved to her new place in Harvest. And we did that. And then the, Repub the Democrats objected and on that basis denied us access to the ballot. And then we had to go to court to argue our case. And we got a lot of references from uh, progressives of Democratic or independent election lawyers that might could help us. And they wouldn't even respond to us. So the only lawyer we could get was a Republican. And uh, another Republican paid the legal bills. And, you know, we had to do that given our limited resources. And, you know, we didn't want to go into court pro bono. You know, we weren't prepared to do that well. So we had to have a lawyer. The lawyer actually did a good job. The briefs were good. And, uh, you know, the, the, the law and the facts were definitely on our side. Um, but the optics were terrible. I mean, the uh, Washington Post, the New York Times, Rachel Maddow, Democracy Now!, Business Insider, they all went after us. Rachel Maddow called us, said we really are a Republican op. Um, and they said we were in cahoots with the Republicans to stop the mailing of absentee ballots, which was BS. It was the Supreme Court of Wisconsin that sat on that case for 11 days until it was just before the ballots had absentee ballots had to be mailed out. And then they said, we're too late. So they ran the clock out on us. Um, so, yeah, optics matter, but sometimes you have no choice. And that's why the answer to the second part of your question is uh, we have to take it sometimes just to fight. And, uh, you know, as I said in the Washington Post and Rachel Maddow kind of ridiculed this, you, you know, you take help for, from where you can get it when you, when you need it. And that's really, you know, what we did. And uh, so... That's a tough question. We, we want to be in a position, I mean, we should have a stable of our own election lawyers that covers all the states. We should have enough financial resources to cover our own costs. Um, and then the Republican support question doesn't even come up. That's really where we want to go. King Cato 21. My colleagues say Manchin is a Dixiecrat. What's your thoughts on that? I think he's more a corporate He's a he's a corporation guy. He's, you know, he's a coal businessman himself. Uh, he he's tied in with the uh, fossil fuel industry. Uh, he doesn't want to tax the rich. Um, he's not a Dixiecrat like the old Dixiecrats, which were op who were openly racist. They didn't want black people voting. They opposed civil rights bills. Um, I don't think Manchin would vote against you know, the 1965 civil rights bill. Um, on the other hand, he's not willing to uh, let the filibuster be lifted to get voting rights passed. So the effect is the same. I'm just saying 
his public, uh, you know, presentation of his politics. It's very different from the old Dixiecrats. They were open racists. You know, they uh, <laughs> they made it clear. You know, George Wallace, segregation now, segregation forever, or how he phrased it, when he stood in the doorway of, our, I guess it was the University of Alabama. So um, the effect is pretty much the same as the old Dixiecrats, but it's a different kind of presentation of the politics. <coughs> Scott Trooper, 164, your thoughts on Bolton and many he staged coups. Uh, that reminds me of that scene in Casablanca where the the policeman who's getting a bribe handed to him as he says, there's gambling going on here? I'm shocked, shocked. Um, you know, from what I've read about that, you know, Bolton was kind of smirking as he said it. He said, you know, I, I, I know what it takes to do a coup or something, not here in the U.S., but elsewhere. And then he was asked where, and he, he demurred. But, uh, yeah. Uh, those are my thoughts on that. You know, John Bolton should stay away from power. We should keep him away from power because he, he's got no respect for people's self-determination. You know, the U.S. can stage coups and put our puppets in. You know, that's not the kind of foreign policy we should have. Vicky Corden, what do you think of Gazza Newsom, Newsom calling the Republic calling on the Republicans being fascists? Um, yeah, well, it's one thing to you know say it; it's another thing to do something about it. And I don't know what he's done in California to protect voting rights, but I've seen what he's done to protect corporate rights. You know, whether it's fracking, whether it's keeping the Diablo Canyon. Nuke open, I guess, with more subsidies. Um, he comes from a real estate background, wealthy real estate family. Doesn't seem to be able to do anything about the housing crisis in uh, California. So, you know, calling the Republicans fascists, uh, you know, may uh, win you, you know, some brownie points with people that are worried about the Republicans. But the real question for me is, you know, what is Gavin Newsom doing for the people? And the irony is Gavin Newsom almost was beat by a Green running for mayor in San Francisco in 2003. That was Matt Gonzalez. In fact, Matt won the election day vote. It's when the paper ballots came in. And although Matt has never alleged this, I've always wondered whether some of those ballots were concocted after the, the day of the election vote came in you know, whether they're, they stuffed the ballots because both the Democratic and Republican parties were united in supporting Newsom against the Green Party candidate, Matt Gonzalez. Um, so if Matt had won that, uh, might be a different world with Gavin Newsom being a landlord, a real estate guy, not a politician. But uh, it was close. And it shows that we have good candidates and uh, good organization. That was a well-organized campaign. We can do a lot more than we give ourselves credit for. So uh, I think, you know, you just keep fighting and, and doing the best you can. And you're going to 
you're going to win some things. Richard Pink, when the Democrats knock us off the ballot, short of voting Republican, how do we let them know we are not junior Democrats? Well, I think letters to the editor, op-eds. Uh, you can write in green candidates. I often do that for many races. Uh, here in New York, they have to report all those votes. So eventually it comes out. And it's always a story in the local paper about, you know, who got the most uh, write-in votes, you know. And oftentimes it's people like, you know, Jim Beheim, the basketball coach for the Syracuse basketball team, Syracuse University. Um, I get a lot of votes even for races. I could even be running for another office and I'll get write-ins for other offices. Um, so Greens who have run good campaigns often get written in. And, you know, everybody sees that. It, it says a little bit. Um, but I think, you know, the, the main thing when they knock us off the ballot by challenging our petitions or passing laws like they did in New York that makes it impossible to get on a ballot. We had seven, eight now petitions um, that tried to get a, a third party line up on the ballot. And all of them failed, including, you all should know that uh, the Republican running for governor in New York, a guy named Lee Zeldin, is one of these stop the steal Republicans. He helped Trump spread the big lie. And uh, he actually tried to steal a ballot line by photocopying petition sheets with over 11,000, almost 12,000 signatures. He got caught. So, you know, that just makes him an insufferable hypocrite and fraud. And he's the Republican standard bearer. He doesn't have a chance. You know, when they say here in New York, well, you know, why should we cover the Green Party? You can't win. But the Republican Party can't win here either. You know, the enrollment disparity between Democrats and Republicans is more than two to one in favor of the Democrats. And it's a pretty liberal state. And this guy, Gav, I mean, uh, Lee Zeldin, I mean, as soon as the Supreme Court decision came out, he was about, you know, Roe v. Wade being overturned. He made a lot of public statements about how great that was in a state in New York where that is really unpopular. I mean, it's like the guy wants to get his butt kicked in this election. So hopefully he will. Uh, and hopefully that's because a lot of people write in Hawkins and Matera. Although I will say we do have our day in court. It's been scheduled for, I think, September 6th. We have a lawsuit that's two years old trying to throw out that election uh, law that the now disgraced Governor Cuomo got passed that, you know, three and a half times more votes to stay on the ballot, three times more signatures to get back on the ballot, five times more signatures in the congressional districts under the distribution requirement, doubled the frequency to qualify for the ballot from every four years for governor to every two years for president and governor. And, you know, this election has shown that nobody's getting back on the ballot. Even a major party candidate like Lee Zeldin, who had to try to cheat. And actually, we had a guy named uh, Jimmy McMillan, rent is too damn high. Some of you older folks remember he, he did get on a ballot in 2010. He did that, you know, copy the petitions thing, stuffing in your petition uh, in 2014. He got caught. Well, Lee Zeldin, he got caught. Um, so... Um, where are they going with that? So we, we got to, well, we got to change the election law here. Oh, I was talking about the court case. So we've had this case for two years. The U.S. District Court rejected it. And that's a lawyer who's very conservative, very establishment, 
Um, for those of you who may remember uh, the case of, uh, uh, she was a lawyer. She got contempt of court for, uh, and, and many years in jail for uh, delivering a message from one of her defendants to people in Egypt. Um, man, I'm blanking on her name. Anyway, very conservative ju judge. Uh, and we know from his decision, he didn't read our briefs. He got all lot, a whole lot of facts wrong. Uh, so this has been on appeal. It's now uh, before the Second Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals. And we're going to get our day in court, a hearing on in early September. And we've asked for an expedited uh, decision. So it's still possible we're going to win our case and get on the ballot, you know, late September, early October in time for the, you know, before the ballots are printed. So we're still, uh, we're still hoping for that. Um, but, you know, going back to the original question, um, you know, don't let the Democrats think because they knocked us off the ballot, they got our votes, you know, tell them, you know, you're abstaining or you're writing in somebody, you want fair ballot access. The Democrats better, you know, get on board for that, or we're going to run against them and make that an issue. <clears throat> Frankie Lee, Howie, how do we win in court if we don't get to appoint judges? Um, well, <clears throat> uh, legal cases are very political. Um, a lot of times, you know, we would not have got Brown v. Uh, Board of Education without the civil rights movement, you know, starting to blossom, particularly out of World War II. Um, they had the Double V campaign, which was particularly uh, Black and also Japanese uh, veterans. And, and they, the Double V was double victory against fascism abroad and against racism at home. And, you know, that was in the air. There was also the political context of the Cold War. How could the U.S. compete for uh, influence in the global South, where mostly people of color, when we had basically apartheid here at home? So I'm saying court decisions are often political. So we got to build our movement, uh, you know, get our message out there, and judges inevitably have to respond to that. Now, the ideologues in the Supreme Court are a tough case, and Trump got to a point, I don't know how many hundred uh, federal judges, but in a lot of local races, you know, judges run for election in a lot of states. They're basically creatures of the machine. They're political hacks, but uh, they want to get reelected. So the political environment can influence them. So uh, you go to court, you make your arguments, and you build a movement outside that changes the politics, the context in which judges have to make decisions. I, I think that's how we you know, deal with it, even though we didn't appoint these judges. Although in some cases, you know, particularly uh, in some states, you know, uh, lower jurisdictions, not federal courts, we do elect those judges. So there's a place we can also influence. Scout Trooper 164, what do you think of it being confirmed that a 10-year-old was raped and needed an abortion? Well, you know, that's why we should have uh, full access to uh, reproductive health care, including abortions. And, you know, the fact that uh, some local reporters reported it and then particularly the right wing media uh, said, well, it's hearsay, it's not confirmed. They tried to say it didn't happen. 
And now they've been caught with their pants down on that, which is good. But the fact that uh, a 10 year old uh, has to go, you know, cross state lines to get an abortion uh, that's the result of a rape um, is just, you know, it's, uh, it's mean spirited, it's unjust. And um, that's why we got to fight for abortion rights and, you know, full reproductive health care, a Medicare for all system where all medically necessary services are free at the point of uh, service because they're funded publicly through the progressive tax system. And, uh, you know, the fact that a 10 year old and, and I guess her family had to go through that, you know, the people that so-called pro-life people, uh, they don't seem to be very uh, empathetic with people in, in very difficult circumstances. Uh, they just got this dogma um, that, you know, a new fetus uh, can't be aborted. Scout Trooper 164, what do you think of the non-white voters fleeing the Democratic Party? Um, well, it's not surprising. A lot of them are disappointed that the Democrats didn't deliver. Uh, unfortunately, the, uh, a good segment of them are going to the Republicans, and uh, that's going to be probably worse for them uh, and the things they care about. Um, I was reading about a guy in the New York Times, black guy in Niagara Falls, New York, and his big issue was immigration. Somebody has convinced him that his problems are due to immigrants who are mostly Latino in New York. And uh, not, and he was a retired, uh, I think he was a retired factory worker. And, you know, a lot of factory jobs have left, but it's not because immigrants moved them. It's because these big corporations moved them to countries with low labor costs like Mexico and China. So, you know, why is he blaming the immigrants for that? Uh, again, the Democrats tend to duck on that question. You know, the Republicans are running on it big time. And the Democrats, rather than being having pro-immigrant policies and making the case for that with the people, just tend to duck on that issue. They leave the field open to the uh, Republicans who are demonizing immigrants, which is absurd because immigrants are doing jobs that, you know, a lot of Americans won't do. Uh, net contribution to the economy is positive. We have a labor shortage right now. I mean, there's just all kinds of reasons to let more people in. Emoji, can the Green Party make alliances with other left parties like Socialist Alternative? Perhaps, perhaps helping one another strategically get seats in specific low school races? Well, the answer is yes. Um, and we've done that in some cases. We failed to do that in others. Um, I've had Social Alternative uh, endorse my campaign several times. Um, but I know of a case in, in uh, Minneapolis where uh, the Greens and Social Alternative ran against each other. And it, it got pretty nasty. And that's unnecessary. I mean, we don't have enough independent left candidates running for all, all the offices that are out there. So to, you know, what happened there, I think it was a liberal district and they both thought they could win it, you know, rather than, you know, getting together and figuring out, okay, who can do best in this district and how do we challenge the next district? Things like that. And uh, 
So I'm all for that cooperation and, uh, you know, what we really need, and at least on paper socialist alternatives for this, is we need a, a you know, a mass worker-based party uh, that, you know, can challenge and, you know, has room for different groups like social alternatives. They can, uh, you know, within that mass party present their perspectives and argue for their positions. And everybody should have that right. Uh, but it, be willing to accept, you know, democratic decisions. And that's how we build a mass mass party. King Cato 21. In areas the Green Party cannot get on a ballot, will they be endorsing specific Dem candidates? Um, I don't think we need to endorse. Uh, I think we need to keep our identity as an alternative. You know, we want to change the system. The Democrats want to run the system, at best reform it a little bit. And if we start cross-endorsing Democrats, you know, what, how it, it, it undermines our differences with them and our argument to people that they should vote for us, not the Democrats, when we do have candidates on the ballot. So I'm not saying when you get in the ballot booth and, you know, you got a choice between a Democrat and a Republican and the Democrat, you know, looks a lot better than the Republican, you don't vote for that Democrat. But as a party, uh, I don't think we should be endorsing Democrats. Uh, we should be, you know, advancing our own message, our own policies, our own identity as an independent alternative. Uh, we, you know, we have here in New York, uh, you know, the practice of fusion or cross endorsing. So, Candidates can appear on more than one ballot line. And we've always had these liberal parties like the American Labor Party for a while and then the Liberal Party and now the Working Families Party that are basically a second ballot line for the Democrats. And, you know, they think they're leveraging the Democrats, but what they end up doing is the Democrats co-opt them into supporting the most conservative, odious Democrats like Andrew Cuomo. They endorsed him three times over the Green Party candidate, who was, you know, in terms of their platform on paper was, you know, maybe a little to the left of them, but very close. And Cuomo was opposed to everything they wanted. But they endorsed Cuomo because, I mean, even this year, I mean, there was a progressive challenger to Kathy Hochul, who is the uh, governor who took Cuomo's place. She was appointed lieutenant governor by Cuomo. She's a cautious, centrist, corporate Democrat. And running against her was Jemani Williams, who is a progressive. He's a public advocate for the city of New York. And Working Families Party in April, when the primary is at the end of June, announced that if uh, Jemani doesn't win the primary, they're going to endorse, they're going to put Kathy Hochul on their ballot line. You know, three months before the primary, they're undermining their own candidate they had endorsed, which tells you, you know, they really didn't have his back. They weren't going to fight for them. And they were giving away any leverage they had three months before the election. And the more these fusion parties get involved in politics and all the horse trading and, you know, uh, trying to get in the with the in-group with the Democratic Party so they can have influence, the more they compromise on, on the principles, the policies that they thought they were in this to implement. So... I think we really got to maintain our independence, uh, you know, and, and guard that because it's 
it's our leverage. You know, uh, we got to be hard to get. You know, the Democrats think, well, we knock them off the ballot, they're going to vote for us. They'll knock us off the ballot. They will, as we've seen in Matthew Holt's case, they will intimidate people. They will rig a petition hearing. Uh, they will misrepresent themselves as members of the Green Party or the Board of Elections to get people to withdraw their petition signatures. That's fraud. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll do criminal acts to keep us off the ballot. I don't think we should turn around and endorse them. Shadow Man 4710, isn't the Green Party socialist now? Uh, we do have in our platform a, a plank that says we're committed to, uh, it calls it ecological socialism, the cooperative commonwealth, and a couple other names. Um, and that's considered by a lot of people to be the socialist plank. Uh, I think more and more Greens have adopted a socialist perspective. I think over the years, uh, People like me who are socialists have convinced Greens that uh, if you want in, uh, environmental sustainability, you can't support a capitalist system that's premised on endless growth. Competition between capitalist firms generates a dynamic of growth that consumes the planet. And that, uh, you know, the, the pursuit of profits at the expense of workers, where workers don't get the full fruit of their labor, generates more inequality. And the competition between capitalists and capitalist states generates wars for resources and, and markets and cheap labor around the world. So there's a lot of, I think a lot of Greens have uh, under, you know, come to understand that critique of capitalism and then you know, have pursued a, a, a green socialism that's based on uh, economic democracy, uh, decentralized human scale type of enterprises. Um, but planning the big picture, we need that for a Green New Deal to get off uh, fossil fuel and decarbonize the economy in a rapid time frame to deal with the climate change. So um, I think, you know, and the fact that Angela Walker and I, uh, and Angela had been the Socialist Party vice presidential candidate in uh, 2016, and then was again with uh, the socialists and the greens this time the fact that we got the green nomination running as socialists um, shows that the majority of greens are there but not all of them are that uh, discussion about how to uh, present our program and why we need to have a eco-socialist perspective is an ongoing uh, discussion within the green party but i think we got the majority with us and uh, that majority i think is getting stronger Okay, so I guess we're at the end of the hour and, and we're going to stop with the questions and I'm going to say a few closing words. And I guess the theme today has been uh, Democrats are not going to save us, even if they are lesser evil to the Republicans. We got to build our own movement. Uh, we can do it. Uh, we got concrete tasks in front of us right now this month. Ballot access petitions in Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Missouri. Uh, a court case in Matthew Ho's uh, case down in North Carolina, 
he needs support. Uh, he needs money to, you know, be able to go through that legal process. And uh, I see Gary Bonaparte, who lives here in Syracuse. Uh, many supporters just get tired. Yeah, that's why we got to, you know, and, and COVID has hurt this. We got to work together in groups uh, that, you know, gives us uh, mutual support and lets us know we're not all alone. And, uh, you know, there's there's existential value in the fight. It makes you feel better when you're fighting back than if you're just, you know, realizing the obstacles we're up against and trying to deal with it on your own. So like I often say, you know, uh, if you're in a local, get involved, stay involved, build that local. If you're not, uh, try to build one. And uh, if you need help, um, you know, contact us and we'll see what we can do to help. And, uh, you know, we, we, like I said, the Democrats, let alone the Republicans, are not solving these problems we face of climate, growing inequality, and economic hardship, <clears throat> new nuclear arms race, um, and a, a eroding democracy. You know, when I ran in 2020, the three themes were Green New Deal, Economic Bill of Rights, and peace initiatives, peace policies. And if I were to run again, it would be uh, a fourth theme. And that would be a pro-democracy agenda, voting rights, honest elections, fair ballot access, ranked choice voting, proportional representation. And uh, I see in the chat, yeah, next week, uh, we're gonna have Michael Oratade. I hope I pronounced his name right. He's a Green running for the Connecticut State House. And he's an impressive candidate. His uh, website is there in the chat. Uh, please check that out. And uh, next week, we'll see you uh, together with Michael and uh, see what he's doing and how we can help. So have a good week, everybody. We got power.